Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking movies, TV, comics, and more. Join in the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. I'm your host, Kenan. Joining me in the studio as always, he's the co-host. He is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. Folks, we have a lot to discuss in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. So join in the conversation, will you? Head over to OchoDuroParleyHour.com. Find our social media links on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Interact with us. And always remember to use the hashtag ODPH in the conversation. Because we have a lot to discuss this week. Mm-hmm. And let's kick it off with a happy birthday. Yeah. Per chance. And that is happy birthday to one Bruce Wayne. And if we had a webcam live feed here, you'd see air quotes. Yes, because today in current uh, comics time continuum, shall we say, post-crisis, pre-New 52, it's been established that this is Bruce Wayne's birthday, February 19th. And obviously, if you know the comics, wait, he's been around longer. Obviously, May 27th, 1939, Bob Kane and Bill Finger decided to create the one and only Batman and this is kind of just recognizes his birthday. So mm-hmm. we figured for the opening segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, we would kind of talk a little Batman news because there is a lot going on with Batman. Yeah. Now, first and foremost, there was the pictures released from the upcoming Matt Reeves film, mm-hmm. The Batman. Yep. So we finally see Robert Pattinson in his costume. Well, we kind of see him. We kind of see him, but we have enough that we can kind of make some judgment calls on it. So, Pad, you've seen the pictures as mm-hmm. well as I. What is your thoughts on it? Uh, I like the costume. I mean, this was one of the things that, you know, wasn't really on my list of, uh, I'm not sure how this is going to work. I'm a little skeptical. Obviously, anytime somebody gets cast as the new actor to play Batman, you know they're going to have a different iteration of the suit. It's going to be their own. It's going to be iconic, depending on your definition or your thoughts on some of those suits. Uh, Cough, George Clooney, cough. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, bat nipples. That's all I'll say. Oh, God. You know, but every time there's a new actor cast or even a new new animated series cast, you kind of wonder, oh, I wonder what the suit's going to look like. And, and no offense or disrespect to Robert Pattinson, but he's not exactly the bulkiest guy in the room. He's not exactly the buffest guy in the room. So mm. I was kind of wondering, I'm like, all right, what are, you know, he's not Ben Affleck here. Let me get in the gym for 30 days and just really bulk up. Uh, so I was kind of curious about it. Uh, I like the look. It, it reminds me very much of the uh, suit that was in the Batman Arkham video games. Yeah, I have to agree. I loved what I saw. I was not mad about that suit at all. I thought Pattinson looked the role. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's what you want essentially at the end of the day. And I know there's been so much controversy of, oh, my gosh, you cast the guy from Twilight in the Batman. Yeah. Remember, folks, they also casted Heath Ledger mm-hmm. as the Joker. And look how that worked out. I'll say they casted Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, which prior to that, he wasn't really a very w- welcome name. Exactly. So have some faith in it. Matt Reeves' track record speaks for itself. I'm a very, very excited about this film and seeing the first pictures. Definitely agree this is from the Arkham video game series. Mm-hmm. This is what the suit reminds me of. Which, which I mean, in that, that those video games, it's very much armor more than suit, I would say. Which leads me to believe one thing. Uh, he's going to be facing some shit. Well, you have to think so, because we don't really know much about the script, other than they have casted a plethora of mm-hmm. villains. Yeah. Well, and, and the speculation online, because a lot of people are going, wait, why are they sh- why are they showing this now? They just started filming. You hit the nail on the head, folks. They showed this because they just started filming, uh, and 
a lot of people are speculating that they were getting ready to film outdoors. Mm-hmm. So rather than have people spoiled with what the local the suit looks like and something they might not want them to see, hey, let's get out ahead of it. Yeah, and I think that's smart, smart ideas from them. Yeah. That to get ahead of the story before it breaks and, you know, your tabloid sites decide to start running crazy with it. They're like, no, here's a suit. I mean, to be fair, it's not always tabloid sites or a tabloid photographer. You know, the Millennium Falcon fully built in Star Wars Force Awakens was photographed by a guy simply flying just for fun over the British countryside. And he lo- he looked out over the one side of his plane. And he goes, wait a minute. That's the F- Millennium Falcon. What the heck? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, sometimes it's just a freak happenstance. Sometimes it happens. But in this case, they decided to get ahead of it. We appreciate it because yeah. this definitely created a new buzz for the movie, which I am happy to see that fans are turning into the movie and yeah. getting more excited about it. Because let's face it, when it first was announced, everybody was like, who? And, you know, we even talked about it on the show for mm-hmm. a great lengthy segment of what to expect. And I am on board with this. And after seeing the suit, I definitely am very interested to see where they go. I have long stated that my unofficial ODPH opinion is they are going to do the long Halloween. Mm-hmm. One of the most iconic Batman stories of all time set around his first years as Batman. So yeah, and, still... that, and that kind of floats with what's rumored online right now is that the movie will focus on him during his second year as Batman. Which I believe it falls around the same time, so that would make a lot of sense, and especially with the amount of rogues they have casted thus far. Mm-hmm. And you're assuming that this is going to be a trilogy film, which you would figure, okay, if you know the story, and I won't go into spoiler detail, I'm going to highly, highly, highly recommend you pick up a copy of Long Halloween if you're a Batman fan. If you don't have it already, which I, I very much question if you don't have it if you're a Batman fan. But I digress. Going into this, though, they're going to borrow a lot from that, I feel. And mm-hmm. looking at the suit, it's more modernized mm-hmm. as if he was Batman right now. Yeah. Which I don't know what I exactly think of that. That if it's Batman in the year 2020, mm-hmm. finding his way, I don't necessarily know if that's going to gel with me too much. I think that this is going to be set a few years prior, obviously. I'm not saying it's going to be set around the year of the Joker. Right. So we can already kind of temper the expectations that Joaquin Phoenix's Joker is going to be in this trilogy. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but I really, really don't think it's going to happen. Right. I mean, I don't really struggle with, you know, the suit being super high tech and looking super armory and all that. I mean, I I kind of wonder, given it, okay, it's the second year, like, okay, Obviously, he's going to use the Wayne funds to to finance this thing and build this thing. Mm-hmm. I kind of wonder, all right, where's you know Wayne Enterprises at at this point? Does it make sense or is it kind of a reach? But in terms of being 2020 in the suit being all armory, I don't really struggle with that. I mean, you go and pick up a, a Tesla. You can I'm pretty sure you can play Tetris on the darn thing. Yeah, absolutely. So like with his modernist technology is it doesn't really I don't really struggle with that. And you just look at the way with, you know weapons are and guns and everything else like okay running around in you know the adam west suit wouldn't really work these days from obviously from a, just a costume look to a practicality look exactly i think the christian bale run has really set the tone of what the bat suit should look like and the christian bale run made sense because okay he had the suit in the first one second one he got stabbed or whatever it was and then he goes to lucius fox and goes i need something that'll stand up to knives yeah so, which makes sense yeah it made sense i mean to see how that trilogy established the growth of batman mm-hmm. and to see how it was more of a realistic take per se that it really makes sense that they're going to borrow a lot from that trilogy into this one mm-hmm. i mean there's so many great batman films you can borrow from 1989's batman yeah. the iconic michael keaton film 
and the Christian Bale ones really stand out. I don't think they're going to go near the George Clooney one. In fact, I'm really, really hoping they stay the hell away from that. I'm hoping they maybe like reference it as a joke. Yeah, they, like like we consider doing, uh, you know, putting knuckles on it, but that just didn't make sense. Yeah, something kind of funny like that, I'd, I'd be fully fine with. And even with the, you know, the Batfleck yeah. version, yeah, I think that you can definitely borrow elements from each and really make something because at the at the essential case, Batman's suit is a light suit of armor. Mm-hmm. If you really break it down to the comics version, yeah. So to see them borrow that for this film, I'm really thinking is a good idea, and mm-hmm. I, I'm fully on board with it. The one area though that's been catching a lot of online questioning is Mm -hmm. the bat symbol Mm -hmm. now depending on what camera you see it from because there's the red light version and then there's been a few that have taken the red light out and made it plain color i guess is easy shout out to the people who took the red light footage and put it to the daredevil theme yeah that was awesome yeah i mean everybody's kind of run with it and and i i understand why that they're making the comparisons but i I did not see it until they mentioned and i'm like yeah but no there, it's a I, cool thought it was, I thought it was funny. Oh, it's funny. It's funny. Well, if you think about it, both those characters are very similar in, in different aspects. Both were played by Ben Affleck at one point. This is true. Frank Miller has written e- iconic stories. I know I'm throwing that word around a lot so, so far in this episode, but it's true. Born Again is the quintessential Daredevil story. If you haven't read it, it is essentially Daredevil Season 3. Mm-hmm. And you see The Dark Knight Returns is one of the most classic comic book stories. Not even Batman but it's one of the most classic comic book stories ever written. And it really defines the character of Batman. For the time it is written in, it still stands up today. Highly recommend both. But to say that this is going to be a ripoff of Daredevil, I don't think so. But looking at the chess piece, though, this is where everybody is really trying to figure out what it is because it does not look like a smoothed-out piece of armor. No. It looks like there is something attached to it. Mm-hmm. Now, Pad, you were looking at the picture as we were recording. Yep. What is your thoughts on this? I can't really tell. I mean, I know we're going to get to what the speculation is online. I I agree with you that it's not a simple piece of metal that is painted white or, or gold or yellow or whatever that is supposed to be the bat symbol. There is clearly something in there, but I just, for the life of me, can't figure out what it is. I am not sure either. And I know the running theory is, is the gun that killed his parents, which is just absolutely nuts. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just, in terms of like storytelling, if you were to come up to me and say, Batman's got a new suit and he's got, two pieces or you know split pieces of the gun that killed his parents in the chest plate i'd I'd be wondering if he was okay well you know that he's one of the most fracturally emotional challenged people in all of comics i Mm -hmm. mean just to go through everything he's gone through seeing your parents get killed is one thing and then to go fight all the insanity oh yeah characters you you deal with on on a daily basis in gotham i mean that has to mentally wear you out i mean i think they kind of touched upon it lightly in heroes in crisis when that comic came out, but you know that he has definitely gone through some stuff and definitely has some scarring Mm -hmm. there. So it's not out of the realm of thought. I know they covered this in Detective Comics 1000. Kevin Smith and Jim Lee had the short story about it, and there's a great article on IGN about this as well, too. So that being said, I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, I don't think it's the guns. I, I just, I don't. I I don't think that they would go that route. That also, be, I feel, be really weird to have, like, in your second year of being the Batman. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know why he would do that. It's just really weird. Like, okay, it's, it's a real constant reminder of why you're doing this. Okay, for who? You? Like, you know why you're doing this. Like, you visit, I'm, I'm assuming he's going to visit his parents' graves a few times during this movie. Yeah, I would say that 
my opinion is this is going to be some kind of extension of the utility belt. That could be. I don't know what though. Like maybe, if it's, it's, a gra- maybe it's a grappling hook or that, something. That's the only thing I could think. Of, kind of think it was. It was going to be the grappling hook, and however they want to spin that in. Because okay. it looks like if you take the two pieces up out and like stick them together, they're almost like mirrored identical in terms of like what's on there. So it looks like if you take this thing out and fold it together, it forms into something. Yeah. So it could be a grappling hook. It could be the. The talons on the end of his glove, his gauntlets that he's yeah, had. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they do that, and it, de- it really kind of depends on where they want to go with it. I just think it's going to be an extension of his utility belt, whether it's a grappling hook, whether it's another bat something or other. Could be like a last resort option. Yeah, it could be, dare I say, a batarang. I mean, we haven't seen yeah. those in, in the movies in a long time, not since the Keaton era, but it could go either way. I mean, there's just so much. I mean, I just I don't remember Bale using one for some reason. Uh, I want to say Clooney used them, although they were real gimmicky. I really blocked that movie out. So. I, cause, well, because I, I remember towards the if I because I haven't seen the movie in years. Yeah. Towards the latter half of the movie, when they're, they're trying to stop Mr. Freeze, some of them are like he whatever. So like mm-hmm. he has them, but he doesn't use them all that often. Chill out. Yeah. Oh, what man. killed the dinosaurs? Oh, Ice Age. Oh, my God. There's so much bad with that movie. Mm-hmm. But this one, though, definitely has my attention. Still excited to hear all the news going on. Yeah. That the casting keeps getting updated. That we're getting a little more news about it. Like I say, I'm sticking to my official guns that it is going to be the long Halloween. Until proven otherwise. I think that that's the route they're going to go with, with the, the amount of rogues they have. And to see that it's going to go, I can only imagine this is going to be a trilogy. That's, I think, what I last heard is three well, signed up for three. This is going to be an interesting thing. Like you said, there's a lot of rogues in this movie. And typically from comic book movies, when we've seen them tackle anything more than, what, two, mm-hmm. it, it's been a little messy. Yeah. So but, it's going to be interesting to see them pull this off if they pull it off. Oh, I fully think they will. I mean, Matt Reeves has done such an amazing job with the Planet of the Apes trilogy. That's true. So I have no doubt he can juggle the characters around and make something happen there. So I'm fully on board with this. And obviously, it's been kind of Batmania at the box office a little bit. Joker just won yeah. for you know best lead actor with Joaquin Phoenix's portrayal. Yep. Albeit, you can't really tie it to the comics. It's loosely as, yeah. as best. Yeah. And to kind of tie it back into our excitement for this movie, this past Sunday, we were the featured Sponsored Sunday podcast pick on One Movie Punch. Shout out to Joseph and everybody on Team One Movie Punch. And we asked them to do a review for The Dark Knight, the iconic. Man, I was throwing that word around a lot, but dealing with Batman, there's so many iconic moments. You can't steer away from it. The great portrayal of the Joker by Heath Ledger, Christopher Nolan's trilogy, which really gave a realistic approach to Batman, played by Christian Bale, and everything going on with it. And the the podcast episode is great. I highly recommend you download it if you haven't downloaded it already. And I kind of was throwing something back that Joe mentioned on the show. And what he was mentioning about is if Nolan kept going with the trilogy. And he was saying if Nolan did a Riddler movie or a Poison Ivy movie. And I shot him a line back and I said, who would you cast for it? And Joseph was gracious enough to give us some audio and give us some content of what he would do for the movie. So we're going to hook that up right now. So take it away. So the ODPH crew reached out to say thank you for the Sponsor Sunday episode over email, which is a totally boss move, by the way. Really, I should be thanking them for supporting One Movie Punch, your daily movie review podcast for currently playing newly streaming classic and cult movies, one movie per day every day. Without their support, I could never tell you that you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at One Movie Punch or at our blog at OneMoviePunch.com. And I definitely couldn't tell you about our Patreon page, where they signed up to force me to write a review for The Dark Knight. If you couldn't hear them, I did some air quotes around force me. 
So when they closed their email asking me what I thought about who should play a Nolan Riddler, I knew a way I could thank them. And I call this one Nolan Riddler. I don't know who Nolan would cast to play the Riddler, and I'm not sure casting matters, but I would like a mix of the Gotham show Riddler, complete with Gotham PD history as a tech, and the Arkham Trilogy psychopath on the gaming consoles. Backstory would begin with the flashback to when Bruce's parents were killed. A bullied Nigma, as a tech for the GPD for the Wayne murders, discovers a clue examining Joe Hill that starts him on an obsessive quest which reveals the hit was ordered by the Court of Owls. When he goes to blow the whistle, they laugh him out of the office. When he threatens to go public, the court uses his awkward social behavior and crazy theories and maybe a traumatic childhood incident to declare him insane and throw him into Arkham Asylum. During Batman Begins, Nigma's constantly trying to trade his knowledge on the Wayne murders and the Court of Owls for his release, always laughed off. But when he gets the news about Batman foiling Al Ghul's plan, he starts to put the pieces together and realizes that young Bruce grew up to become the Batman. During the Dark Knight, Nigma smuggles a note to the accountant at Wayne Enterprises, which leads him to learn about Bruce's Batman. And in the wake of the Dark Knight, Nigma meets Joker and Arkham, since we're dreaming, and they start to discuss the Batman. The whole time, Joker doesn't know who Batman is and frankly doesn't care, but Nigma does, and that makes him want to top both Bruce and Joker. And then to close out the prelude to open the film, Riddler manipulates the Joker to create a disturbance, so the audience takes Riddler seriously as the stronger opponent and uses it to escape Arkham Asylum and disappears. Four years later, about halfway to The Dark Knight Rises, which always felt like a fourth movie to me, a multimedia riddle shows up on everyone's multimedia devices, using the same technology that Bruce thought he destroyed at the end of The Dark Knight. The riddle is targeting all the members of the Court of Owls, but also a particular member. When that person dies in an explosive way, a video that could only be taken during the incident is pushed again to everyone's devices, along with a cache of files that shows the target's nefarious deeds on the court, their ties to the major corporations and law firms and government officials, and explicitly Wayne Enterprises, along with another riddle for the next target. Buried within the data, of course, is a secret message for Bruce slash Batman, which brings him out of retirement, along with the reluctant Lucius Fox, who warned him about the technology. Of course, Batman needs to operate covertly, much more so than the previous two films because Gotham PD is after him for dense murder, but also because as the Riddler takes out more of the court and exposes their misdeeds, the public begins to side with the Riddler. He builds a loyal gang of followers for even more spectacular methods of taking out targets, but always precisely, with none of the damage or mess that Batman has left in the wake of his misadventures. With each billionaire he takes out in the Court of Owls, the economy begins to tumble even further, which only increases Riddler's popularity. Riddler's ultimate plan is to expose and eliminate the Court of Owls, reveal the truth about the Wayne murders, and reveal Batman's identity right before killing him, to show the public that billionaires have been waging proxy war in the streets while the people suffer. I'm not sure how all that comes together, but I do like that it would end with Bruce Wayne, identity intact, renouncing all his contracts with members of the surviving Court of Owls and their affiliates, and using that platform to announce his new partnership with Miranda Tate, to convert the weapon system into a fusion reactor for civilian energy. But since the social situation in Gotham is unresolved, he gets booed off stage as another billionaire, and that leads him into the life of a recluse, while Miranda Tate slowly takes over operations. I'd like Joker and Riddler talking about what happens next when the people get upset, with an Anne Hathaway silhouette cameo stealing something from one of the former targets who made an immunity deal, and maybe Bane inviting the remaining Riddler loyalists to help him with a new project in Gotham. It hooks right into the storyline of the fourth film. It also makes the relationship between Miranda and Bruce much more believable. And sure, bring back Joker and Riddler for The Dark Knight Rises and give it the real Arkham Asylum feel. Cast whoever you want in that story. I'm all in with anyone. 
I'm actually fine with changing Edward Nygma into any other demographic, because like Joker, I don't think it really matters who is the Riddler, just that he or she is smarter than Batman and willing to do whatever it takes to prove it. I would trust the Nolans to find the right fit. I've thought about this a little bit. Thanks again for your support, guys. Joseph out. Pad, thoughts on that? I mean, it's a good idea and it's a great story. Just I don't think Nolan would do it. Just you really think about it. First movie, Batman Begins, it's him versus Ra's al Ghul and getting his footing. Second movie, it's him, you know, footing firmly established, taking on Joker and all that insanity. Third movie, kind of coming back from things, dealing with the fallout of, of the previous movie, take, you know, kind of a continuation of Ra's al Ghul, sort of, uh, while also taking on Bane. I just think there's a little, you know, to involve, you know, Bane and, and, and uh, what is it, Talia and, and just all the other stuff. Just way too much going on for a Nolan Batman movie. Sign me up. I am sold on that. The minute you said Court of Owls, I was just marking out. I'm like, that is my go-to villains. That's Snyder and Capullo's first run. I mean, you know how much of a fan I am of that if you've been listening to the podcast. I am all on board with that movie. In fact, I was guessing who the Riddler would be. So, Pat, I'm going to ask you as soon as I'm done giving my take. I think it's got to be Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. I mean, he works well with Nolan. Yeah. And he could definitely bring out the you know the insanity, but with the brilliance with it, too. I think he would absolutely crush it in that role. Oh, yeah, Leo would be good. I mean, I really can't think of who would be good to play that role just because, I, you know, Riddler hasn't been done since, you know, Jim Carrey in, in the, what was that, the 90s? You know, mm-hmm. I can't really think of anyone that would be just, especially since I think the Riddler, I think of his portrayal from the animated series and just that's what I hear and that's what I expect and that's what I picture. I just, because it hasn't been done, I can't wrap my head around, a, you know what, that person would be good. I am sold on the idea of Leo being the more evidence I was listening to Joseph's take on that, I am just more sold on that idea for a movie. I wish we had it, but he'd I know be it, good, but he'd be expensive. He would be, but you know, if you're going to go all out, he he depends because he does have that working relationship with Nolan. Yeah, he, you never know if he would take maybe a discount and and do like a Robert Downey Jr. deal for it. It could happen, but either way, I know we never got to see that trilogy or that movie, but man, I'm sold on that. What and, about a Ryan Reynolds? Ryan Reynolds would be good too. He could he could pull it off just kind of the worky, quirky, you know, riddle, goofy portion of if they were going that route. Yeah, it all depends on your interpretation. I, mean, I would say if you go the animated series route, he's he's wacky, goofy, kind of like mischievous and playful. Whereas with if you go the Arkham video game route, it's you know it's kind of playful, but at the same time, I want to rip your head off. Yeah, it just depends on the interpretation you want to do, and that's why I said like I think Leo could be able to swing both mm. if you really want to jump into it. And I know that whenever we're going to see the Riddler appear in this next trilogy coming out Mm -hmm. for Matt Reeves, I know it's going to be a knockout of the park. Yeah. We we don't know about any casting yet, but everything we've seen thus far and the legacy of the films going in with Batman, Pattinson is looking the role. Yeah. Definitely got my attention. He's got your attention. Definitely let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. And a special shout-out and thank you again to Joseph from One Movie Punch. If you're not familiar with One Movie Punch, download it on any podcast provider you have. You know it is definitely worth the time if you're into films. Definitely worth it. Highest recommendation I can give. Shout-out and thank you, thank you, thank you again to Joseph about that. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Sunny Hepburn. And I'm Brandy Fleeks. And this is Book of Lies, the podcast, where we discuss liars, cheats, and thieves, scammers, and dirty, rotten scoundrels. So tune in for new episodes every Tuesday to hear about another low-down, dirty liar. And learn how to spot them. So that's Book of Lies, podcast. 
Find us on your favorite podcast player or on Twitter at Book of Lies Pod, on Instagram at Book of Lies Podcast, and on Facebook at Book of Lies Podcast. And if you want to send us an email, send us one at Book of Lies Podcast at gmail.com. Okay? Bye bye! Hey, this is Brian Wolf from Fair City Fire. You are listening to ODPH, the greatest podcast in Binghamton. Woo! Coming back for segment number two on this edition of the ODPH podcast. And we have to talk our usual recap of the DC Arrowverse shows on the CW. Mm -hmm. Now, we are going to be talking spoilers if you haven't caught up to this past week's episodes. But we are going to be talking some Flash. We're going to be talking some Legends of Tomorrow. We're even going to talk a little Supergirl. Okay. So I'm going to throw that out there. So let's kick it off with The Flash in three, two, one. Pad, what did you think? Really? Uh, this episode did nothing for me. I'm sorry. Like, it was another, you know, to use an anime uh, term, it was filler. It was, it was, you know, if you're a Dragon Ball Z fan, it's the episode where Goku is on Snake Way and meets Princess Snake. Totally useless. Never referenced ever again in the rest of the series. You know, th- this episode is more filler. I under, you know, I understand they're trying to do stuff and trying to set up a villain and set up this and set up that. Could you really have done this in one episode? Because I feel like two is a stretch. Yes and no. I think for longtime comic book fans, Ralph Dibney and meeting Sue for the first time, and if you know their relationship, this was kind of a cool episode. Albeit, though, a very, very different version of Sue than we know from the comics. Mm-hmm. Very different. Uh, never the karate master slash uh, master thief, mm. uh, to my knowledge and recollection. Uh, always has been more of a detective along the same lines as Ralph. But this was kind of cool just for a throwback to the comics and knowing that history. And for the rest of Team Flash, I do agree with you. It was kind of a snooze fest. Well, and that's the thing. They, they, Sue first showed up, and, and they he went, oh, it's you, and then went to commercial. So here I am, not recognizing who it is. I thought it was Jesse. Mm. I thought Jesse would somehow come, because you just got the episode last week where you see some version of Harrison Wells, whether it's Reverse Flash or Earth 2, right. or, or, or Earth 2 Harrison Wells. So I'm going, wait, is it just Jesse back? It, it looks like Jesse. Yeah. So like just the way they presented it for me didn't do anything for me. Right. But that's like I say, for me, knowing the history of Ralph Dibney and his relationship with his Sue, it was a very cool moment. And I was really interested to see how she was going to play out on screen. So to see that happen, and it was a nice little twist, I thought that was like the best part of the episode. Was it a home run? Not necessarily. I would say it was nice to see Ralph finally, you know, said that he often so often builds himself as like a ladies man and knowing what to do i mean there was the one episode a couple seasons ago where he gave who was it was it cisco oh the, yeah the, the book of the, ralph the book of ralph on how to woo and, and date women and it actually was like a terrible idea and like terrible full of terrible ideas so it was nice to see him finally like have that romantic relationship building and really have something going 
it, that was nice, and it was nice to see their relationship kind of bud and grow. But the rest of the episode, yeah, didn't care. No, it definitely didn't. I mean, that was the cool thing about Hartley Sawyer's portrayal of Ralph Dibney. He finally got his chance to really run yeah. as a yeah. leading person. And albeit it was a fun story. And if you know anything, I mean, the elongated man is not exactly somebody you fear in the DCU. No. But he's definitely known for his detective skills. He's definitely known for being a role player on the team. And to really see him kind of step up in his own, it was a very cool episode. Well, it, it was nice to see him as something other than maybe the, you know, sub actor or whatever you want to call it for being uh comedic humor. Yeah, exactly. You know, cuz when when Cisco isn't on the screen, usually Ralph is the comedic humor. Yeah, so since Cisco is gone from the show as a further notice and I like I say uh, Carlos Valdez has been announced that he's leaving the show. I don't know what they're going to plan on doing for anything for bringing that character back or what they're going to be doing for future plans. Ralph has some time to shine and I think that's mm-hmm. one thing you know if you've been listening to the podcast for a while. That's the one problem with the DC shows on the CW. You cast so many people as heroes that screen time is tough to really establish characters. Mm-hmm. So you need an episode like this to really balance out and really make you connect with a character. And I thought for Hartley's portrayal of Ralph, it definitely worked. You can definitely see how much growth he's done since he's been on the show. So I was okay with that. The whole story going on with Iris being trapped in the mirror, I don't care for. No, I don't either. It's it's boring to me. Like, yeah. Like this one, she's trapped in there, so we kind of get a little more story of what's going on, and she meets Eva, who has been trapped in there since the particle accelerator accident, and it's really just kind of been going, okay, what's going on here? The, however you want to define that, that time pocket they're in, mm-hmm. if, if you call it that, I'm not sure how, and how there's another imposter now of Iris escaping, and basically – this organization known as Black Hole is secretly trying to take over Central City. So you do have some development going on here, but it was not enough to really hook me. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of just based on the episode, just kind of building up filler, like, okay, we're going to make our escape, and then... Well, that's the other thing, too. Eva's there, and I'm sitting there going, all right, wait, is this somebody we've already met before? Because, Christ, I can't remember. I feel like so often with these shows, if you have a returning character, they're pulling from so far in the past, and somebody so obscure, you might not even remember them. Well, it's just very interesting to see how they play off the particle accelerator and how many people that's affected. Yeah. And obviously with the dark matter, too. I mean, there's different elements that they tie into creating heroes and villains on the show that you have to really be watching from day one to really appreciate it. So, like you touched upon, Pat, I mean, you had to really think, okay, is this a new character? And obviously it is. So you don't know the backstory. You don't really know a lot. But you're also trying to figure out, okay, if if this character has been in there since Mm -hmm. the particle accelerator... And depending on how timeline is now post-crisis on Infinite Earth, Mm -hmm. it's kind of confusing to see how long she's mastered her powers because you do find out that she does have a weird type of power that she can, like, connect with the mirror dimension. Like, whatever you want to define it as, she has something where she can, like, connect through there. It almost reminded me a little bit of, what was it, Hank Pym's wife? Yeah, in, in the microverse or whatever they call it in, in Ant-Man, where she's been in there for so long that she went in there with no powers. But, hey, she was exposed to all the stuff hitting her that she eventually developed powers. I mean, that's what it kind of reminded me of. It kind of did, but they didn't really explain what was going on. It was just they were trying to do an escape and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. So you really I don't want like I have to agree with you. It was kind of like filler. It was just I, I didn't really leave that show and go, OK, I really understand what's going on. Again, much like last week, if you didn't see it. You can skip it. Yeah, it's just kind of irrelevant. Like, not much really happened there. And and honestly, with Barry, it wasn't a lot, too. It was just kind of... 
He's sitting on the couch studying case files. Yeah, like that was pretty much all the extent he was. So obviously when Ralph and Sue's story took over, it definitely balanced out. And at least it made it somewhat worthwhile Mm -hmm. because to see that interaction, like I say, it definitely played off the the romantic tension between them. I think yeah. Natalie Dreyfus played a, a good Sue Dearborn and just what the direction is because as Ralph has been searching for her for how long since Sue's parents have hired her. Uh, what do they say, nine months? Yeah. Something it, like that? It's been nine months, and you really find out, okay, what's going on after it appears there's a, an assassination attempt on her and how Sue creates a story about how a gangster named John Loring is chasing her and basically uses Ralph mm-hmm. to con him into helping her and steal a diamond yeah. that would take a metahuman to do. So you don't really know how long she's been watching him because it is revealed that she is a pretty smart detective in her own right. Well, and I love the one scene where she locks Ralph in, what was it, the, the bank the vault. vault, and she comes walking out, and the guy and his henchmen are all standing there, and she's in the uh, CCPD uniform, and she stands there, and she goes, all right, CCPD, you're all under arrest. And I'm thinking, all right, nobody in the room buys that for even a second. No, nobody does. So it was kind of cool, though, how Ralph uses powers of, you know, manipulating his, his body to look like Joe. Mm-hmm. And obviously it was a, a cool playoff that he got to really demonstrate some of his, some of his powers. Because you do forget, though, a lot of times, like what he can do and what right. he can't. And even when he was trapped in the vault after Sue had led him on the wild goose chase to track down the diamond and he was and it was going to get her freedom. And then she wound up doing the double cross. He actually remembers, okay, he's thinking back and uses detective skills to escape and subsequently wind up saving her mm-hmm. until she disappears on him. And then we see Ultraviolet return, Yep, which I actually forgot about that character for a while. So did I. Yeah. So obviously mm. it wasn't Dr. Light because I was thinking at first it was Dr. Light again, mm. but obviously it wasn't. So it, t- it took a little while to remember. And obviously they have so many people jumping around that it does, yeah. it, it does throw it off for a little bit. But either way, you did see, okay... Ralph has established himself. Then there's going to be more to this story going on because the diamond has the black hole icon on mm-hmm. it. Like it's covered in it. Right. So I'm not sure where this story is going to go because now suddenly the secret organization. And honestly, when I see that or that icon, I think Spiral from the Grayson series. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they're going to try like flipping that and tying that into it. I don't, like I don't know. There's just, there's so many questions involved in this episode. And there wasn't a lot of answers. And it wasn't like they're leaving me hanging about them. Mm-hmm. It was just kind of more like, all right, well, I'm here and I'm watching. I don't really get what's going on. But they did give hope for next week. Yeah, they did. And who is coming back? Grodd. Yes. So we're finally getting one of the classic Flash rogues, which I can't wait to see. Every time they've done Grodd, it has been phenomenal. And now since Grodd is part of the timeline, that is always key. Mm-hmm. Because when he's not and it's you know, obviously the difference that they've gone through the years with him. He's now on this earth. Everything's set up to really succeed and really show where his powers are. And I can't wait to see it. Cause I think that so far since they come back from crisis, it's been kind of a whimper on flash. Yeah. It really hasn't stuck out. I mean, I know they had the new Dr. Light show up and where they were going with that and just really kind of balancing out. Didn't really do anything. Just honestly, it was kind of like, nah, it's here. Mm-hmm. So obviously next week I'm a little more hyped up about, Legends, flipping the the page, though. Legends was okay. Yeah, no, Legends was enjoyable. Legends is Legends. I mean, is American Doctor Who, 
uh, the story of where they were going this episode with Marie Antoinette and, mm-hmm. and, and running from France. Well, and that's the thing I love with Legends, especially since they have the, what are they, the recurrences, I think is what they're called. Mm. You know, I enjoy these because it's always, okay, what point in history are we going to and what is absolutely ass backwards wrong in the instant they said oh we're going to france in 1793 or whatever it was i'm like okay so middle of the you know roundabouts the french revolution people should be getting their heads lopped off and all of a sudden they're having a raging kegger and like uh this doesn't sound right no it definitely doesn't and this is where you really saw some of the other cast step up and i mean jess mclin who plays ava was given the captain's role since sarah lance played by katie lots was not on the episode Mm -hmm. uh really on her own mission so i'm not sure where that's going to kind of play out in in the future yeah and so you saw the interaction with the team and I know they're focusing a lot of attention on Zari again. Yeah. Tala Ash. Um, I'm not sure where they're going to go with that because the one thing is since the timeline is reset, she is slowly getting back her memories and what she can do and what she can't. And to see how the team is kind of building around it and they've been focusing a lot of time on her, Mm. it kind of gave me in a weird sense the whole first season Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and how much we're focusing on Quake. Yeah. Kind of vibe. It's a, it, but it's it's a little different because they're spending so much time on her character that it's got to be a big reveal when it happens. And obviously you see what goes on with her and how she's living the quote-unquote Kardashian life <laughs> and how she gets knocked down a few pegs and yeah. and definitely dips in a little bit with the time travel rules and how her and Ava have now formed this you know friendship, which I think is very cool to see. Mm-hmm. That I think that those two characters could definitely play off each other a little bit more. And to see Ava now officially on the team, that not so much she's given the role of Sarah's girlfriend, yeah, but she's kind of standing up on her own and running the team, I think is a really good idea and really gives her a chance to really spread out. And this episode, I thought she did a really good job with it, mm-hmm. especially dealing with, you know, run through France and then dealing with, yeah. you know, the, the, the only way you can describe it is it's Legends, mm-hmm. the Legends storyline. And the back storyline, though, going on with John Constantine. Oh, boy. Now, that is going to get very, very messy messy as it goes because, obviously, he's going demon hunting. and where Anytime he's, he's dealing with hell, it's never a good thing. It never is. And I do love how they left the cliffhanger ending where, basically, Ezra has manipulated his soul to be killed early mm-hmm. his lung cancer was eventually it was going to get him has now been sped up and they left him basically where he dies on the end of the episode yeah now where this goes next week is anybody's guess mm-hmm. i don't think we've seen the last of matt ryan as john constantine no by a long shot no but to see where they're building it for the overall story I, i'm really kind of confused because constantine is doing his own mission so he has not really been connecting with the team and you see the rest of the team is just doing normal legend stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't exactly know how you want to play that out, but I guess I'm kind of sitting there going, eventually this is going to come back together. Mm-hmm. I just know how they're going to pull this off. Yeah. And it's really, I don't want to say confusing, but it's it doesn't have the sense of like, okay, there's really like a lot of flow to it mm-hmm. and to see where they're going to wind up going. Because, I mean, if Astra is supposed to be the major villain this season and she's unleashing all these evil souls from hell and they're running crazy through the timeline, it has to tie back somehow to the team. I think it's just a case of, you know, for once they're not really referencing or tying it into a previous comic or a previous story that have been in the comics. And they're just kind of using it and writing their own. So it's one of those situations where you can't really see the end. You don't know the, you know, no pun intended, you don't know the end game. 
No, you don't. But it, it's also one that it's been a little confusing getting on board. Oh, with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the only thing since Crisis came back. I think these two shows have been they've been okay. They haven't been home runs though mm. by any stretch of the imagination. So I want to see him kind of pick up on track. I know when Grodd comes back for Flash, it's going to be a definite upgrade. Mm. And where Legends goes, it's Legends. So it's going to be more of the same as they tie into the season. But especially if they want to come back after the following season that they're already committed for, I think they really got to kind of find a little more continuity or continuum. Mm-hmm. Con- yeah. Continuity. Thank you. That's I'm, I'm butchering because I'm getting too wound up talking about it. But they need to find something more because, like I say, it, it's just real – you know, wash, rinse, repeat. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Like, I'm just, I'm not even vibing off. And I feel, and it also kind of gets a sense they're forcing characters into different roles. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't gel and just doesn't make sense. Like, the one that was the former Vixen yeah, character. Oh, yeah. Now, suddenly she has a connection to Constantine's past, like, out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know. Like, it just, it's not gelling as well as it should. So they still have time to write the ship, though. Because they have, a, you know, a few more episodes to go till they're done for the year. So. I mean, another month and a half worth? Uh, something like that, yeah. A month or two. So they definitely have time to go for it. But flipping to close out, though, the DCU recap, they have been very strong on Supergirl. And they have definitely brought back Win, you know, a.k.a. Future Toy Man, mm-hmm. a.k.a. What they've been doing with him has been just awesome. Yeah. To see Win come back and how they've established that he's been in time in the future Obviously, what's been going on with Brainiac Five has definitely been a you know like a really really wild trip this season, and how the, you know Jesse Rath has been playing him, and you're seeing the different versions of Brainiac and how he has to now work with John Cryer's Lex Luthor, right? And how Lex is playing the long game because he wants to go after Leviathan, and how they're still bringing that up. I, I, I I'm very intrigued at this and how they're playing mm-hmm. this off. But with Jeremy Jordan back as Win Scott and how he kind of interjects that life into the role, I think has really helped the past couple episodes. And obviously dealing with Toyman and how he escaped the first time and is now in the DEO's computers and everything that's going on there. Kind of a little crazy episode, but it definitely played into Win's strengths. And definitely switch up the stat quo because by the time this episode was done, Alex resigns from the DEO. Oh, wow. Brainiac is put in as the head of the DEO, which only plays right into the fact of Lex getting information on Leviathan. Mm -hmm. So that's a little crazy because Alex is still going to be part of it, but steps down as the director. So Brainiac is definitely throwing a wrench into everybody's plans this year. And I do like seeing the the difference in the character because originally when Brainiac was in this series, Mm -hmm. was played at the Cisco, the quirky tech Right. You know, brain. Right. So now to see him being a little more colder, a little more like the comic version, I think really only helps. Mm-hmm. And to see how this is going to interact the rest of the season, I definitely am more interested in it than not. But how they end the episode is we get the introduction of a very, very classic Superman villain. Mm-hmm. Mr. Mr. played by Thomas Lennon. Ten bucks if you can say that ten times fast. Not even going to try. All right. I got through it once. That's good enough for me. Either way, I love how next week's CW shows are tying back to the comics Mm -hmm. and to really see what we get here. I'm super, super amped up to the C, but let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts about this past week's CW shows? Are you really in love with the direction of flash and legends and Supergirl? Are you saying, you know, a crisis was great. 
Now we're on the downhill slide. And are you really amped up for next week's shows as we are? Because we get grod and we get missile clicks. Sold. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Yo, 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 what up? It's your boy, Kobe Mack, host of the Kobe Told Me podcast. It's my whenever I want to deep dive with the Mac himself, where I get to amplify my movie reviews for your listening pleasure. This is my 30 minutes or less solo pod, keeping it real with reviews, sometimes movie news, and an always dope box office breakdown. I'm the best subjectively objective film critic in the game, and when they ask you where you heard it from, you tell them Kobe told me. Peace. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is George Gatton, and you are listening to the Ocho Duro Harley Hour Entertainment Edition. Coming back for the third segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and there is a show coming back to Disney Plus this week. Yes. Dare I say it's debuting on Disney Plus, but it's returning. Mm-hmm. And Pad has had this circled on the calendar for a long time. For quite a while. So, Pad, why don't you break it down for us? Yes, of course. This Friday, February 21st, 3 in the morning Eastern, which means I'll be just waiting till I get up. You know, I, I'm not getting... I got work that that same day. I'm not getting up three hours before my alarm. Not calling in for that? No. Uh, going to be watching it before I go into work. Uh, of course, it's Star Wars, The Clone Wars, Season 7, the final season, although I kind of hope not. I kind of hope they come back at some future date because this show is so good. Uh, of course, the show first came out way back when in 2008 and was, you know, kind of that it, it came at an interesting time in Star Wars where the last film had come out in Revenge of the Sith. Disney hadn't bought the franchise yet. No, we didn't think anything else was coming, you know, so th- this was kind of it for the Star Wars. So uh, definitely recommend watching the show. It's all episodes are currently available on Disney plus um, definitely worth the watch. I highly recommend watching every, I, every episode uh, watch order. I know there's an article on star Wars.com about the chronological order of episodes because some of the orders are in order story wise, but just watch them in the order they were released. And it's a lot easier that way. Um, so I'm going to go through some of the, at least one arc from each season uh, and, and talk about it a little bit and say why I think it's great because that's the way this story worked uh, story show worked because mm-hmm. it wasn't done in maybe like an X-Men, the animated series way. It wasn't done in a Batman, the animated series way where eh, there were some loose connections, but it really didn't tie in overall. No, this stuff, it all tied together. It all meant something. You heard stuff referenced in later episodes, if not the following episode, and they had these arcs. So uh, season one, uh, probably the arc that stands out to me the most is the Ryloth arc. Now, this is episodes 19 through 21 in season one of the Clone Wars, where it's Essentially, what is going on is you have the planet Ryloth, which is the home of the Twi'leks. Uh, think the the, the fe- uh, females with the long uh, head tails going mm-hmm. on, that, that Twi'leks. Their uh, home is currently being invaded by the Separatist forces and blockaded, and their people are starving. So you have the Jedi in Mace Windu, Anakin Skywalker with his apprentice, and Obi-Wan Kenobi. So really, three of the biggest Jedi they've got. Yeah, you can't get any bigger than that. All storming the planet to try and take it over and, and free the people of Ryloth. You know, the first episode is with Anakin and Ahsoka and, and you know, deals with Ahsoka kind of learning how, all right, you know, we're going to kind of take the training wheels off you a little bit. You're going to be given command of your own, uh, your own uh, fleet of 
starships, you know, your own troops to fight in battle. Second episode in this arc is uh, dealing with Obi-Wan and his forces making it to the ground and trying to free the people, you know, which is really great. And then the third episode is with Mace Windu trying to track, track down one of the members uh, from the Separatist Council that you actually see in the films, uh, Wat Tambor. Uh, if, you, if you remember episode two, Attack of the Clones, he's the gentleman who, when all the Separatists are sitting together, he sits there talking and then his voice goes all weird and he adjusts the little dial on his chest. That That's him. Okay. So that's definitely an arc to check out in season one, although I will give a special uh, honorary mention to the, I forget what episodes it is, but it, it deals deals with i want to say the first episode is defenders of peace or something like that um the opening of that i want to say it's episode six the opening of that is probably the best opening to any of the star wars clone wars they've done uh moving on to season two uh i'm gonna say the uh one of the best arcs from that season uh because there's two i want to mention in that season is the return to geonosis uh that is uh that arc is episodes four through eight in uh, that second season, which I rem- remember watching this and going, oh, God, they're going back to Geonosis. Mm. And there's even there's even one part in the uh, second episode where Commander Cody, who, of course, you see show up in Revenge of the Sith, is talking with uh, Anakin's clone captain, Rex, and, and Cody asks, uh, Rex, were you at Geonosis the first time? And he goes, or no, uh, it's Obi-Wan asks Cody if he was there the first time. And he goes, uh, no, sir, I wasn't there he goes, I heard it was fun. He goes, well, if you call being tied to a pole while a monster tries to attack and kill you, fun. Yeah, you. Yeah, so if the first episode is titled Senate Spy. Essentially what it is is the Jedi find out that there is a uh, plot going on and they're not quite sure what's going on. So they, they send uh, Padme to investigate it. Second episode is kind of the fruits of that uh, uh spying done and they find out that there's a droid foundry on geonosis and well we lost it once we got to go back and take the damn planet again and oh we want at one point says let's hope we never have to do this again let's <laughs> let's not let's not have to take it a third time probably a smart call there yeah uh third episode is titled weapons factory and it's a great you know look at ahsoka and uh one of the other padawans that you see in the show barris Offi. uh they get sent into the droid foundry to try and blow blow it up uh, third, or excuse me, fourth episode is Legacy of Terror, and this one is really interesting because you get brain, con- mind control involved, mm. and it's not done through a conventional of wave the Jedi hand in front of you. It's it's a little weird, it's a little freaky, but it's a great episode. Uh, and then the final episode is Brain Invaders, which is kind of like, oh, you thought you dealt with it, and nah, jokes on you. Interesting. Yeah. So after that, another great uh, arc in season two is the Mandalore arc because this kind of turned star wars fans on on their head a little bit because for a long time people always had this thought of what mandalore was and what a mandalorian was and it's this armor guy it's the boba fett type that leaps into battle always bounty hunting always contract hunting and this kind of turned things on their head it, it introduced a mandalore that isn't really a warfaring people isn't really a fighting people well, we're, we're more pacifists now we're, we're not so much into fighting i don't buy that yes yeah, so well spoiler alert it doesn't last long uh, first episode, this is episodes 12 through 14 in season two. Uh, first episode is the Mandalore plot, which is essentially uh, it, word has gotten to the Republic that Mandalore, which at this point is neutral in the war. Yes, there are some planets in this galaxy that are neutral. They're not on one side or the other. There's about a thousand of them, if I remember the arc right. Uh, it deals with Obi-Wan Kenobi getting sent to Mandalore 
and really trying to find out, all right, are these rumors true? Is Mandalore really looking at joining the Separatists? Uh, then you get uh, the second episode, Voyage of Temptation, which f- features Anakin and Obi-Wan bringing the head of Mandalore back to the Senate to kind of try and explain, all right, listen, hey, here's what's really going on. We're not doing this. You also find out something a little interesting about Obi-Wan's past. Hmm. Uh, he's not the good upstanding rule following Jedi that you might believe him to be. I'll leave it at that. It's a great reveal. If you haven't seen the show before, do you think we tie that into the Obi-Wan series coming up? Uh, let's put it to this way. If Ray had ended up being a Kenobi, that episode would have explained it. Okay. Fair enough. If it would have been a weird workaround, but if Ray had ended up being a Kenobi, this would, it would have worked in this way. Okay. Uh, the final episode is titled Duchess of Mandalore. Essentially, uh, the head of Mandalore gets framed for something and it's her running around trying to prove her innocence. It's a great series and it really introduces, you know, the Mandalorians and Mandalore, which really become a focal point, uh, as the series goes on. Uh, moving on to season three, uh, you've heard me talk about it before. I cannot talk about this arc enough. See, yeah, this is your series. The Mortis arc. Or the arc, rather. Yeah, so this is uh, episodes 15 through 17 of season three. This is the quintessential, like, best storytelling they've done in Star Wars this century. Okay. It is just absolutely insane where you have Anakin, Obi-Wan, and uh, Anakin's Padawan land on this planet. There's a father with who has a son and a daughter. The son is very in tune with the dark side uh the daughter is very in tune with the light side if i haven't sold you on this arc in the past let me just sell you on this point anakin finds out the future oh he finds out what he did or will do okay obviously things change and he doesn't remember it um but it's a it's some of the best storytelling they've done because it the the thing with the star wars the clone wars when it really gets in depth with stories and, and arcs about the force and kind of like the inner workings, they're some of the best. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of that benchmark. You know, it's really, it's really great. Uh, also, will honorable mention to season three, the, I forget what it's called, but it's the arc before this where you introduce, they introduce Savage Oppress. And I realize if, <clears throat> if you look the name up, it looks like Savage Oppress. George Lucas says it's Savage Oppress. Okay. All right. Go with Lucas. Yeah. Go with Lucas. <laughs> he might know a thing or two. He might know a thing or two. Uh, this is also the arc where they first tease uh, Darth Maul is alive. Oh, and, okay. And I remember watching that on TV when it aired, and I they because they show a crystal ball and they're talking, and you see a clear, distinct face of Darth Maul. And I go, and I said, "quote Holy shit, he's alive!" Because <laughs> he kind of got cut in half. Well, you did get cut in half. I mean, that was one big full pot of the Phantom Menace, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That you had one of the best looking visually villains. And you yeah. wipe him out that first. He was one and done. Yeah. So for all the hype that was around him and the double lightsaber, to, yeah. to do him like that it was really a bad look. And yeah. now to see him come back, and I, you know, that's one cool thing about this show mm-hmm. that you can kind of play around with areas. Oh, yeah. yeah uh, moving to season four. Season four for me probably has to be the weakest. Just yeah. I enjoy it, but just you know, the first arc it deals with uh, Mon Calamari, and and you get to see a younger. Uh, you know, it's a trap, Admiral Akbar. You get to see a younger Akbar. It just does nothing for me. I mean, the big villain in that arc is a, a shark creature with you know who goes around biting people. It doesn't really do anything for me. But I will say that one of the great arcs in that sea uh, season is the Umbara arc, which is episodes seven through ten. Uh, this basically deals with they're on a planet that's really dark, like almost basically no daylight. Hmm. Anakin gets called back to uh, Coruscant at the request of the Chancellor. And he leaves his clones in the command of one General Krell, uh, who uh, 
looks like the gentleman who runs the diner in episode two, Attack of the Clones, that okay. Obi-Wan goes and meets. Same creature. Forearms, uh, wields four double-bladed lightsabers, if I remember right. It's really cool. Um, but it deals with him having a little, you know, he's got a high success rate. He really gets things done, but his mortality rate in terms of his forces is like the highest in the entire army. Okay. So it's kind of like, they're not okay with doing this. He has some really horrible plans and it's them kind of coming to grips with this guy doesn't have our best interests at heart. We got to fix this. It's some of the darkest storytelling for a children's television show. Yeah. There's one thing you got to remember too, is this is not mature I don't want to say mature readers, but the MA rating is mm-hmm. not on this. No. But they definitely go into some places that you definitely would not expect. Yeah. Uh, moving to another great arc in season four, probably I would say the best one. Uh, you have the Obi-Wan undercover arc. Uh, basically what happens, the Jedi find out that there is a plot to assassinate Chancellor Palpatine. Hindsight being twenty twenty, might not might have been the better idea to let him go, all things considered. Yeah. You, you, you think about it. But so obviously the Jedi don't know what's going on. They come up with a plot to let Obi-Wan go undercover and discover what is going on and try and foil it. Uh, Obi-Wan gets, quote-unquote, murdered. And mm. it, uh, he gets, quote-unquote, assassinated. And yeah. it pisses Anakin off to no end. Uh, there's a funeral scene where they fake bury obi-wan in the jedi temple and uh, ahsoka leans over to one of the other jedi and says i'm really worried for anakin he hasn't said a word since obi-wan was killed and just the seething look on his face and you can hear and they actually use vader's theme in the in the episode and you're just like okay that's we, a cool touch okay we know where he, his mood's at uh this is episodes 15 through 18 in season four. First episode deception of course name of the title it sets up how the deception uh friend and friends and enemies uh it deals with obi-wan still undercover really trying to come to grips with what they're doing and in, in uh, episode th- the third episode of this arc is titled the box uh basically they take all of the big bounty hunters minus boba fett because well he's a kid uh in the to this proverbial box and really test them like all right we're going to test your metal here's what some of what you're going to run up into with this job let's see who survives through this if you survive through this you're good enough to go on the job uh the final episode is crisis on naboo where hey go time we got to stop this plot we got to do what we got to do uh, so all in all season four, not the best, but eh, it's still fun. Uh, moving on to season five. Uh, this great arc is, uh, titled the shadow collective. It's episodes one and then 14 through 16. Uh, this is dealing with, uh, at, at this point, Darth Maul has come back. He's working with his brother. They're trying to build, you know, a syndicate, a crime syndicate in the underworld. Kind of like what he alluded to in uh, Solo, his, his appearance in Solo, a Star Wars story. Okay. He's uniting all the crime families and what have you. Uh, great episode, and it features single-handedly the best lightsaber duel in all of Star Wars between him, Savage Opress, his brother, and Sidious. That is high praise right uh-huh. there. Yeah, and it's it's absolutely nuts. The episode, final episode of the, uh, the arc, The Lawless, is one of the best they've ever done, especially there's an end shot. That is just absolutely nuts and absolutely great. Uh, other no, another great arc in that season is the final arc in the season uh, called the Rogue Jedi. Uh, this is episodes seventeen through twenty. Uh, basically, what happens is there is a bombing at the Jedi Temple. Anakin and Ahsoka go to try and figure out what the heck is going on because the Jedi Council isn't sure who to trust in this because it came from somebody on the inside. They're not sure. What, you know, you two were off planet. We know you had nothing to do with this. Investigate this. 
So it deals with them investigating it. And then once they catch the person who did this, uh, Anakin's Padawan is framed for a murder. And she then goes on the run to try and prove her innocence. Uh, and the end final episode, the wrong Jedi is absolutely nuts. It's a great episode. It also features a scene that was highly, you know, anticipated and very talked about for a couple of years when the show was going on because the story came out from uh, show the show producer, Dave Filoni. Uh, that for the recording session, because the awesome thing they did with this show is they had all of the actors in the same room, yeah, voice recording together, and that's huge too. Yeah, you you don't really see that with television shows a lot, even cartoons a lot, where you you'll have somebody come in, do their lines, and then leave. No, this show they had them all in the same room together so they could play off of each other. The final scene in this episode and what was then the series finale, they kicked out everyone in the room except for the two actors uh, who were in the final scene. So that that's interesting. That that that's a really refreshing take on it too. Yeah, you, you really kind of get the best out of each one there. Mm-hmm. So that that's a great arc in season five. Season six, uh, great arc I would say is the first four episodes in season six, uh, titled "The Clone Protocol 66." You want to find out what happens when Order 66 almost gets exposed before it's time for that thing to go? Uh, this is your arc. Uh, it's a great arc involving one of the series. Uh, ongoing characters that it gets introduced way back in a forget at then forgettable episode in season one, but becomes one of the fan favorite characters as the series goes on where they find out something, you know, one of the clones in his battalion dies. He tried, he's like, something doesn't seem right. This isn't right. Why would he just snap and, and do this? You know, they investigate it and they come about yay close mm. to figuring out and exposing Order 66. And if that happened, uh-huh. it changes everything. Uh-huh. That's a game changer right there. Yeah, so that's a great episode and it's a great, oh, what if? Uh, the last arc I want to mention that's a really good one is also from Season 6. It is Episodes 10 through 13. It is the Yoda arc. Basically, Yoda starts hearing voices and at 900 plus years old, that's not exactly a good thing. That's not good. No, so it's, again, it's one of those episodes that really delves into the Force. Yoda finds out that there's something coming, that there's something is bad is going to happen to the Jedi, but he can't figure out what it is. It also brings Darth Bane into canon, uh, which he was previously on legacy only uh, voiced by Mark Hamill, mm. you know, so another great episode, but those are some of the arcs I think are really good. You know, some of the best standout ones, obviously they're all good. I highly recommend all of them. Go watch the show. It's amazing. It's six seasons right now. Seventh season is premiering this Friday, uh, February 21st with the first batch first batch of uh, episodes being titled the bad batch arc. Uh, not really knowing what's going on with this. I know, you know, some of parts of the episode were previously released as like storyboard, like the voice acting was done because when the show ended uh, on cartoon network way back in with season five, they were working so far ahead that they had most of season six done and were working on part of season seven and they were planning out like eight and nine. They, really? they were working so far ahead in the future. So, like, when, when the show ended in season six, when it got put on on Netflix, they said, well, we had this other arc that was going to be on season seven, but we just never got done with it. And they put it out on StarWars.com as, like, a 22-minute video or something like that. So that's the up. This is the first batch of arcs, a batch of episodes. Not really sure what the overall plot of this is. Uh, there is a clip online if you go to, I believe it's the Disney, it's the Star Wars YouTube channel. Uh, where it's essentially you've got four clone troopers. Something's going on. They got to call this crew in. They got a real high, you know, success rate, a hundred percent, which in the in the army clone army, real hard to do, you know. And it's really not how they they get it done. It's kind of their methods. A little interesting. So definitely something to check out. Well, it's going to be something interesting to see. And like you said, the show comes back this Friday. Mm-hmm. Now they are committed through this season. Yep. 
And then after that is anybody's guess? After that, this is anybody's guess. Dave Filoni said that this is the final episode that they got to kind of put a bookend to it. I hope it's not. I hope at some point they come back and they revisit and they do some more episodes, even if it's in a book form, because I know there was a book that came out a couple of years ago that was, you know, a collection of three scripts that would have been three or four scripts that would have been episodes on the show that they then turned into a book. Hmm. I think if they even go that route, it's great. You know, I think that there's so much more you can flesh out and look at with the Clone Wars. You think there's any character that they haven't touched upon that you would like to see Hmm. added in there? You know, that's hard to say, but just because a lot of characters got featured and especially ones that might have had one scene in the background of one of the prequel films. You know, they'd show up in an episode. Um, I'd like, you know what? I'd like to see more Hondo Onaka. Okay. You know, voiced by Jim Cummings, you know, Winnie the Pooh, among many other voices. One of the best characters they've ever introduced. No, it definitely sounds interesting. And that comes out this Friday. Yep. Highest recommendation you can give? Absolutely. It's a great show. So we're going to have to definitely get some reviews coming from you for that because we definitely want to keep track of the show. And if it does, the Star Wars universe justice, which, I mean, so far, so good from what you've said. Yeah. I've caught some episodes. I'm not, like, fully caught up on a lot. I've been trying to juggle some shows around. But... I go by your judgment on this. You are the Star Wars aficionado of the ODPH, so if you say watch it, mm-hmm. we're watching it. But definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. Are you watching The Clone Wars on Disney Plus this week? If you are, what's your expectations? What do you want to see? What don't, what don't you want to see? And do you think they should continue going on? And how many seasons? Let's throw that one out there. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Rich, the host of the Three Fat Nerds podcast and co-host of the Horror Zone 607 podcast. And you are listening to our hashtag 607 podcast brothers, the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Now kick it back over to Ken Moneybags and the crew. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Pad kicks off with those one shots. Got a couple of things to talk about. Continuing the Star Wars theme from last segment, uh, it got announced today when you can buy the digital and physical versions of Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, digitally, it will be available on March seventeenth, and then uh, physically, it will be available on March thirty first. Nothing said about when it'll be coming to Disney Plus. Stay uh, glued into the Disney Plus social media accounts because Lord knows they'll be promoting that. Yeah. Uh, so that's definitely something to check out if you are a fan of the Star Wars saga, and if you're a big completionist and you really like having everything uh best buy is offering a 27 disc skywalker saga box set uh 27 discs it retails at a small measly price of 250 dollars uh all 27 discs will be in both you will have both 4k and blu-ray uh it will feature a hardcover book and a letter from mark hamill as much as I love Star Wars, I am not shoveling out $250 for this. Yeah. I, I already own the previous movies. I don't need to own them. Some instances, I own them in more than one format. Um, not by choice. That's just how it goes. Uh, I will not be purchasing this because I cannot stomach dropping $250, even for something I love as much as Star Wars. It is a costly penny. Mm-hmm. So depending on how much you want to spend with your money, and then, hey, you're entitled to do with it whatever you want. Mm-hmm. I you're getting a lot for yeah. what you're getting. Yeah. So it's not like you're you're getting next to nothing. Yeah. That's a lot. The letter from Mark Hamill is, is it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. I I'm not I'm not hating on that, but you know, it just depends on what you want to do with that. That's a little steep for me. Yeah. 
Like I'll probably get the Blu-ray when it comes out. And yeah, I'll, 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 get, I'll get the Steelbook from Best Buy because the Steelbooks are always awesome. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, switching gears. Also talking some movie news. Tom Holland, who was on the blue carpet, it wasn't a red carpet. It was a blue carpet. Uh, premiere for the new Disney Pixar film Onward was asked about Uncharted, the Uncharted film, which has been in the works off and on for God probably about a decade now. Uh, it's finally happening. Uh, he said uh, when speaking to IGN last night that it's filming in about like, f- quote, four weeks. Uh, he said, quote, if I'm honest, one of my favorite video games ever is the fourth Uncharted game. It's unbelievable. And lots of the inspiration from the film has come from that game in particular. It was interesting when I last sat down with uh, Tom Rothman, who is the Sony Pictures chairman, and we were talking about video games and I was like, oh, I've just finished Uncharted. And he was like, well, why don't you play Nathan Drake? I remember being like, I would do anything to play Nathan Drake. Please, that would be amazing. So, yeah, we start shooting in like four weeks. Mark Wahlberg is going to be amazing as Sully. The stunt department that we have out there in Berlin have done an amazing job already prepping the stunts, and it's going to be an exciting one, close quote. So, for those of you who are familiar, uh, Uncharted is a series of video games from the folks over at Naughty Dogs uh, Studios. Uh, there are five games, I want to say. Well, technically six. Uh, I had to f- almost forgot the PlayStation Portable one. Uh, that are set around the world. Think Indiana Jones, but kind of a younger Indian, younger version of Indiana Jones. Okay. You know, it, it's draws in kind of the same, same inspirations, you know, simple plot looking for something turns out to be a little more mystical than you might've expected. You know, definitely a lot of fun, definitely interested to see where they go with this because obviously with Tom Holland being cast in the title, title role of Nathan Drake, they're going younger. So, and to say they're borrowing from uncharted Four. Which is a great game, and it's going to be very interesting to see what they do. I'm not sold on Mark Wahlberg as Sully. You know, YouTube, if you haven't played the Uncharted games and, and don't have a PlayStation, just YouTube Uncharted Sully and, and find some clips of him. I realize that's older and later in the in the Uncharted timeline. I just don't buy Mark Wahlberg as Sully. That's, so that's my one gripe with this. But if if the trailer comes out and I, and I like what I see, I'll change my opinion. Yeah, I got to see a trailer first before I make an opinion. I'm not super familiar with the franchise. I know mm-hmm. it's a video game, but... Uh, Tom Holland definitely has been putting in some work, so yeah. you know, have to check it out. Obviously, he saved the MCU with Spider-Man, so it's hey. It's true. What can you you got to get a little support there. Mm-hmm. So, for my one-shots, uh, let's talk some Walking Dead. Yeah. Now, the AMC long-running zombie... Ten years. I know. Can you believe it's gone that far? Uh, the long-running zombie soap opera returns mm-hmm. this Sunday as we're recording. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. February 23rd on AMC. So, Pad, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Are you excited? Uh, a little bit. Not as excited as I have been in previous years. I know, you know, in my Facebook memories, it has been coming up and how amped up and how excited I was in seasons past. I'm excited to have it come back, but I'm not, like, over the moon posting in all caps that I'm excited. I'm happy to have it back. You know, it gives me something fun to watch on Sunday that isn't necessarily superhero themed. You know, it, it's it's a kind of a Sunday staple for me at this point. You know, I've been watching it for nine years. I didn't watch season one, admittedly, mm-hmm. um, on when it aired. But, I'm no, I'm excited to have it come back. I'm interested. I'm not as super amped up as I used to be for the dead. No, I same. And I know they've done some changes. I mean, we haven't heard anything about the Andrew Lincoln movie franchise, whatever's yeah. going on with the saga of Rick Grimes. And the last we knew, Team Daryl and company fell, fell into a cave trap mm-hmm. set by Alpha from the Whispers. Yep. So I am just going to go on record and say this. If no major character dies within that cave, I'm just going to go off on this show next week. 
I'm serious. I hate when they do the the major fake outs like what they did with Glenn oh, when yeah. he fell off the dumpster. Yeah. And there was no chance in hell that he should have escaped and he should have got killed off right there. I will but, say I had some fun with that because there was a friend of mine who was convinced he wasn't dead. And I was coming up with every which way possible to say he, that he was dead. He and, had to be they, dead. And they just wouldn't accept it. Yeah. So obviously when he somehow Superman survived. Only get punked out by Negan as he did, and yep. well, I shouldn't say punked out because you he, knew that was coming. Yeah, but we all knew that was coming with Negan. So I mean, there I was, remember you and I having conversations when they had said Negan was coming. I'm like, you, you and I both going, are they going to do the scene? I don't know if they can. Yeah, and, they did it, and they did the scene, which was a turning point for a lot of Walking Dead fans because comic book fans, we all knew what was coming with that. Yeah, everybody that just jumped on it because TV's hottest show at the time. Got a little freaked out. Some and, people were freaking out. Others were going, oh, that was badass. And then there was that third group going, ooh, that was, I think that was verbatim from the comics. Yeah, exactly. So whatever they do here, because it's a whisper war, they need to do something big. Yeah. I'm sorry, because if you don't kill off a major character that's in that cave, this is all for nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't, you can only do so much where Daryl escapes when 100 zombies are around him. Well, isn't isn't uh, Denai Guerrero supposed to be leaving the show? She is. What if she? What if this is where she goes out? I'd be okay with that. I mean, it's already been now she's leaving I'm, I'm the thinking, show. I'm thinking like a Gandalf Lord of the Rings type situation where, save yourselves, and, you know, runs out. Yeah, I'd be okay with it. Like, I haven't seen the trailer for the new season yet. Right. So I've been trying to avoid it because I want to go in the season fresh because... Obviously, with the book being canceled, there is a ending that they can do. Mm-hmm. Will they do that one for the show when they decide to end it is anybody's guess. I'm not saying that's going to happen because they are committed for next season. Right. After that, we don't know anything. The only thing that we can say for certain, fear the Walking Dead is coming back mm-hmm. and that what worlds collide or yeah, whatever it's the, called. The new show with the kids. Yeah. So we're still going to have Walking Dead on AMC. So take it for what it is. Uh, I'm more excited for seeing a better call. Saul come back for the final season. Yeah, but that's just me, but I'm still going to give it a shot. I've already gotten this far. I got to go finish it out, but I'm just saying if, if they decide to do it safe and like botch up a major death, which they should do on the show because they did that when alpha had the spike scene and killed off characters. Nobody cared about. I'm sorry. Nobody did. They got to step the game up. Otherwise it's just going to be all like, you know, wash, rinse, repeat again. And I don't want to see that. I, I got a better stuff to do. Sunday night, I'm going to be watching Supergirl because, hey, it's the 100th episode. I forgot to mention that during the segment. So that being said, AMC has got to step that game up. they got to definitely you know, move the needle and get people watching Walking Dead again because if it fails flat. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Like I said before on the show, and I will say it again, would not be surprised if next season's the last one. Just, it's, just given how tumultuous the reception has been the last couple of years. Yeah, it has to be. In my opinion, it's, it's got to go. So let's end talking some more Batman because mm-hmm. we open up the segment because it's happy birthday, Bruce Wayne day here on the ODPH. What do you get for the man who can literally buy anything? Um, Parents. Oh, wow. Wow, Pad. Uh, wow. He went there. Yeah. Man, that was cold. Well, uh, it looks like we might have to get him something for Father's Day because it has been tweeted out by Tom King. Okay. That there is an image of Batman with a pregnant Catwoman. Somebody call Maury Povich. On top of a rooftop. And there has been no clarification of where this is going to be happening. This is only just an image that was tweeted out. The artwork is by Mikkel Jenin, who has been a long time. If you've gone through Tom King's run on Batman, Jenin's drawn a lot of Batman issues with him. Uh, 
so we don't know where this is going to be uh, tagged into. Okay. So that be, that being said, um, it it could go a lot of different ways. Uh, is it going to be tied into the Batman Catwoman series that's eventually going to come out? I know it's been delayed a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know because Clay Mann was supposed to be the artist involved with it. Right. Uh, there's another Catwoman uh, special edition that's coming out that uh, it, you know they do for their characters when right. they, when they hit like the 80th year. Yeah. Um. So I'm escaping like the official title of it, but could it be a part of that? Sure. We don't know. Um. The only thing for certain is the image is out there. Fandom is running a little crazy with it. What's going to happen? It, which is to be expected. It, it's to be expected, but I it, it could go a lot of different ways. I mean, it could just be like a futuristic story. Obviously, if you know the comics real well, this could introduce um, Helena uh, Wayne in from you know Earth Two and when, okay. when you go the multi universe. Um, so there's a lot of different ways this can go. So that being said. Stay tuned for some more information. Uh, I I don't really have a lot on that. Just I know that everybody's been I've been hit, getting hit up on uh, social media at OD Parlay Hour thoughts on this, and that's my official take. Uh, wait and see. This could be a throwaway thing, like a, an imaginary sequence. Yeah, the, I, this, yeah, that seems more likely. This could be written in the continuum. I don't know because um, <laughs> obviously, um, with the Batman Catwoman series coming out. Who knows what's going to happen there? The only thing I know is Clay Man's drawing it and Tom King's writing it. And all I know is the Phantasm's going to be in it and you have me hooked. Exactly. So stay tuned for more information on that. Also talking some Batman news. It has been announced that Batman the Animated Series is returning in comic book form. Yes. So stay tuned for some more information From on From the that. show producers. Yes. This isn't like, you know, Joe Schmo at DC Comics picking up picking it up cuz, you know, they were a real huge Batman the Animated Series fan back in the day. No, this is this is coming from the show's producers. Yes. So the, I would take this as a continuation official canon to the animated series. Who knows? Maybe they'll bring it back. I'm Listen, man, fingers crossed on that one. <laughs> I was just waiting to see Pat go, like, if it doesn't happen, I'm going to be quitting the show. I'm if it doesn't Patrick. come back, as, if the series doesn't come back, I'm okay with it. It's still a great series. Nothing will ever change that. But if it comes back, I will be over the moon. Oh, absolutely. So before I do the comic book rundown, since obviously it is happy birthday, Bruce Wayne, Pat, I'm going to throw you on the spot. Okay. Favorite Batman moment or Batman comic story? Favorite Batman moment probably has to be in Dark Knight Rises where he finally comes back and makes his appearance in the suit. Where you've got, uh, what is it, uh, Bane's henchmen or whoever it is running through from, you know, running from the stock exchange and they've got the one guy in the back of the motorcycle and they're going through and you got the entire police force chasing him and then the lights start flickering out and you got the younger officer going, what, what's going on? And then the, the bat pod goes streaking by and you, the one cop who's been in like the previous two movies goes, oh boy, you're in for a show tonight. And just you get the the Hans Zimmer Batman theme playing while the entire Gotham police force is chasing him down. One of the best scenes I've seen in a movie. Yeah, I mean, it's really tough to break down. The movies have all been classic uh, mm-hmm. for one way or another. Um, Batman 89 is self-explanatory. Really was the first comic book movie since the Christopher Reeves Superman to really mm-hmm. hit fans. And, and, well, and be different. And be different. And be be something fresh at the movies. Uh, obviously, the Nolan trilogy we've talked about on the show. Numerous well, we're not going to talk about the Bat credit card? Uh, no, we're just going to ignore that because, like I say, it's been good at times and it's been downright awful. Yeah, I, I will ones. say this. I think at this point, anyone who worked on uh, any of those Joel Schumacher films will admit they were bad. 
uh, yeah, I understand the vision they were trying to go with, but yeah. we didn't need to see Batman 66 brought onto a major motion picture and yeah. and Adam yeah. West not be tagged in it. I'm sorry. It's yeah. just, I mean, they were what they were, but the Nolan trilogy definitely brought it a realistic feel to it. I always love those movies. I mean, The Dark Knight and it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And just to see that quintessential Batman versus Joker story brought to life, truly phenomenal. Truly oh, yeah. phenomenal. And comic-wise, there has been so much Batman over the years that you really got to kind of pick and choose. Long and Long Halloween is one of my favorite stories. And if you've never read it and you really love a good detective story and a mystery story, it's up there. Uh, Dark Knight Returns, I know we mentioned a lot, and it is an iconic story. I'm not super great about the ending, but I do sure. love the I do love the book. Sure, there's there's one minor faux pas in that book, and I just kind of go, okay, I'm just gonna go with it because I'm already hooked on the story. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite comics is a little storyline called Contagion. Okay, and without going complete spoiler about what it's about, it's Batman fighting a deadly virus that's been unleashed in Gotham. Mm. So it's him versus something he can't punch, he can't kick. He has to stop a virus mm. that's infecting and killing thousands in Gotham. It's truly well done. When you find out everything behind it, it really hits you. The sequels to it, albeit, are not good. Right. They're okay. They don't hit you the same way this this storyline did. It's one of my favorite ones. And obviously, I, I preach about them on the show all the time. Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's run on Batman is like my Batman. Mm. I love Tom King's run. I, I I will admit I I wound up really getting entrenched with it because Tom King put the man back in the bat. Snyder and Capullo put the fear into the bat, and the right. visuals match the story. Corda Owls, phenomenal. Death in the Family, amazing. Mm-hmm. Even Zero Year, which I will admit is probably my less or least favorite uh, Snyder Capullo run, is still good. And just where they went, albeit though the the Gordon in the in the Iron Man suit, not my favorite thing. I understand why after Endgame because Endgame was amazing in its own right and how they wrapped it up. Last night on Earth is great. I mean, I I right. could just preach about them all the time. But. Let's say uh, honorable mention because I almost forgot about it. Uh, a great animated film they did was uh, featuring Batman was uh, Batman and Superman Public Enemies. Yes, where essentially a uh, little plot summary: Superman uh, gets framed. Uh, for attempting to assassinate President Lex Luthor. And uh, the only person who believes him and is not hunting him down because Superman becomes public enemy title, mm-hmm. number one uh, is Batman. So the two of them team up to take on and simultaneously defeat every villain and superhero in the entire DC universe. Uh, just some names uh, that are in the film. Uh, it does, of course, feature Kevin Conroy as Batman and Tim Daly as Superman, who uh, Tim Daly voiced uh, Superman in the animated series. Uh, Captain Adams in it. Captain Marvel. Solomon Grundy, Metallo, Amanda Waller, Gorilla Grodd, Starfire, Killer Frost. I mean, I could go on. It's so good. Oh, it's so good. If you ever want to see two of the biggest heroes in comics take on everyone, this is your movie. Yeah, absolutely. They do such an amazing job with it that the legacy of Batman still grows to this day. Like we say, whether it's the movies, whether it's the animated shows, whether it's the comics, which I have to give a plug and. Pat and I were talking about this off air. Mm-hmm. Batman issue number 89. The 2020 version, not the way back in the day version. So let us break this down because that's leading our pick at the comic shop this week. Because good luck finding it. 
Yeah. Why is go- Why is that so important, Pat? Uh, well, it features the first cameo appearance of Joker's new partner in crime uh, punchline. Uh, admittedly, uh, it's not much of an appearance. It's a cameo. Uh, it is very hard to find because it is flying off of comic book shelves everywhere. Uh, here locally at Sound Around, a buddy of mine, you know, uh, Brian uh, Rhodes of, of the show, tried to pick up a copy for me. Uh, was there on his lunch break at work. Uh, it, he was there two hours after, two roughly a little two hours after uh, Sound Around had opened. They were sold out. Yeah. Uh, issues, copies of this issue are going on eBay for north of $125. I've seen even some going as high as $300 on eBay. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, but it's awesome, though. I mean, Tinian's run has been incredible thus far. And he's definitely had a different take than Snyder and King. His voice is definitely getting re- like fine, like fine tuned for where he's going with the story, and introducing a new character, and everybody is jumping on this character like it's the new Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. It might turn out to be. We don't know. We've only seen a cameo. You don't even see her full face. You don't see her full face in this. We have seen pictures though, because obviously she appears later in the stories, and there's there's promotional art for issues later. And I mean, obviously, there's the year of the villain, the Hell Arisen one shot that's coming out too that she's going to be featured in. To see this book get this much traction, mm-hmm. and like literally, it's a cameo. Yeah, is amazing. And for an old school comic fan like me, I love books like this. That's a cameo that makes you go to the shops early, go pick them up, get on the social media, talk the fandom with your fellow fans. I am waiting to talk to Brian from Cheers the Comics about this because we need to have this discussion. I got to talk to Ron from Three Fat Nerds about this too because he is arguably well, him and Rich are like the big Batman fans over right. there. So, but I definitely want to talk to Ron about this to see the impact that's happening. This is just a cameo. Yeah. And considering everything else coming out this week. Yeah, I mean, I was talking with Brian Rhodes about it and uh, he was when he was down at Soundground, he was talking to Justin from Soundground. Uh, he Justin said it sold out immediately and that uh, Wolverine's new comic is debut is going to be outsold by Batman and two other DC titles individually. That's crazy. I mean, it's amazing. It's good to see, too, that comic shops are, are thriving about this. But the Batman book is is going absolutely crazy about this. So, I mean, that's the head book I'm saying for DC to pick up. There, it's a strong week, too. There's a new Legion that's out. Justice League's out. The Joker Killer Smile book is out, too. The Jeff Lemire story, which, I mean, that's, that's absolutely crazy in its own right. And to see the Marvel side of things. So... Would you figure if you didn't know about that character and you say that that, that book is going to be out by Marvel alone, mm-hmm. the new Wolverine with Ben Piercy and Adam Kubert, yeah, and that book I have read spoilers. Holy shit, it's amazing. I I'm blown away at the first issue thus far. Yeah, I mean, I'm the, getting back to the Batman '89 because I was digging on eBay. Uh, found one copy on eBay that is the variant issue with what looks like to be a black and white photo of Batman fighting uh, Deathstroke. Uh, is currently going for two hundred and seventy four dollars and ninety nine cents. And then the standard uh, cover, nothing special about it, uh, is currently there's a uh, issue on there currently going for two hundred and forty nine dollars and ninety nine cents. Get out on of eBay. That's, yeah, that's insane. Like I say, for that book to be beaten, the Wolverine book coming out the gate is crazy it's amazing but it's like i said my, my pick going into this week was gonna be wolverine I, like i said the punchline thing was yeah. gonna be interesting because we don't know but everybody is jumping on it's like it's new harley quinn so we'll have to wait and see i mean the marvel side is a strong uh, book week too yeah with wolverine number one coming out it's big x-men week too because marauders is coming out new mutants is coming out 
new Daredevil's coming out. I mm-hmm. mean, there is a the Donnie or no Al Ewing's Guardians of the Galaxy is coming out. But the but Batman eighty nine, if you can get down to the comic shop, if you can find it anywhere, congratulations. Yeah, because I know it's it's obviously going to go second and third printing. It's going to go like fourteen printings. Oh well, yeah, I mean it's going to go crazy. So this character is going to be featured heavily, and I'm not saying we're going to see him or see her in the Matt Reeves movie. No, but I'm not doubting we won't see possibly something on an HBO Max down the road. Maybe a DC universe. Couple, I'd say maybe five, ten years from now. It's she's just introduced. We don't know anything about her. We don't know any. We don't know anything. No, but never. But obviously. But I'm going to say this, Pat. If this book keeps projecting as it is right now, don't doubt within three years. I'm even going to go on that limb. Don't doubt within three. So we'll have to wait and see. Strong week of comics, though. So get down to your local comic shop. Shout out to Justin at Sound Go Round 2 locally. And obviously take a listen to Brian at Cheers of Comics because he's going to have a lot to say about this. We are going to have to have a little conversation, too, on Twitter about this. Can't wait to have that discussion. That being said, the music you heard on this episode is that of Shout at the Robots, who have a very, very big gig going on this Saturday night, February 22nd at Galaxy Brewing Company. A very special episode is coming back into town. Shout out to them and Water Bears. So all that information is going to be at Shout at the Robots social media. How do you get there, you ask? One simple place you got to go swing by, and that's ochoduroparleyhour.com slash music. You can find out all about what's going on in the land of Shout Out the Robots. You can find out what's going on with Floodlands, who are going to be coming back on the show very, very soon. Talk to Jimmy, and I talk to Tom. Pad, I would say by April. Uh-huh. They are going to be back in because there is a huge show they have going on. And before they go on a little tour, actually, they're going upstate Ooh, New York. So. Very happy for those guys. So to find out what's going on with them, to find out what's going on with Second Suitor and the tour they have going on with Tom Julu. They're down in Florida right now. So if you are listening to us in Florida, definitely head over to our webpage. Check out where Second Suitor and Tom Julu are playing. Swing by. Tell them that you heard them on the ODPH. They'll definitely be appreciative. They'll give you a high five. You can hear One Winged Angel, the ballad that's going to be taken over the summer by Second Suitor. You can also check out Walking Distance. You can check out Honker. All the great music you hear, Fair City Fire, all one place, and that's ochodoropalear.com slash music. And you can also check over Parlay Points, the complimentary blog section to the ODPH. You can check out the ODPH directory, which has links to Excite Wrestling, which if you were listening to the wrestling show on 3FN, you know about what's coming March 7th and the big autograph session going on. Demolition from the 1980s, 19, early 1990s, is going to be swinging by so to do some autographs. So if you're a WWE fan, you definitely know who they are. So ExciteWrestling.com for more information on that. You can obviously check out Off the Cuff Gaming. Shout out to Tom, who was inspired by our happy birthday Bruce Wayne this today to do Lego DC Supervillains on the Off the Cuff Gaming channel. Ooh, I hear that's a good game. Yeah, you'll have to definitely check the episode out. He was doing some live streaming. Definitely go follow him on YouTube. So if you're subscribing, definitely you should be subscribing to Tom. Always does awesome content. Also on the ODPH directory, you can give a shout out to Three Fat Nerds, Rich Ron, and hashtag Challenge Accepted, hashtag Big Natty Cool Diesel, and Horizon 607 is on there, and 8122productions.com, which you can find out all about their Patreon. Pad, mm-hmm. if I told you Derek is going the full month of March with episodes of Love is Scary, what's your reaction? Good Lord. Yes. He is going the entire month of March with brand new episodes of Love is Scary. I can't talk about it. I'm not behind a paywall. He is. Rich just literally walks in the studio, hits record, and leaves. 
So Derek is in the studio with an open microphone. Ron and Rich are outside. They're nowhere near this. They're letting the artists go to work. What is he talking about? $1 a month gets you in the door. $3 a month gets you a comfy chair. So go pull up a seat at the table and hear all what 8122 Productions is doing. And definitely check it out and subscribe. Shout out to Pod Nation. Shout out to Next Wave. Shout out to Hashtag 607 Podcast. You can find out the links to the Podchaser list on ochodoropolyhour.com. Everything you need that is the ODPH is there. Because that's all I got for this week. So for the one and only Padawan J. Thank you and watch the Clone Wars. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you as always for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.